Hello and welcome to the Value Pricing Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Wickersham. I'm a chartered accountant, public speaker, and value pricing expert. In fact, I'm obsessed with value pricing and helping accounting professionals get better prices, being more valuable to their clients, make more money, and of course, have more fun. That's why I've spent over two decades teaching accountants and bookkeepers how to value price their services. These episodes are recordings from my live training sessions where I'll be teaching how to price your services, how to win more clients, and how to run a more profitable accounting firm. Welcome to the session. My goal for today is to share with you some some ideas around value pricing, about how to price more confidently, uh, how to get better prices. So there you go. That's what we're going to do. This is the first of a series of trainings that I will be doing throughout uh, this year. The purpose of this is I want to, my, my goal this year is I want to help uh, as many accountants and as many bookkeepers around the world with value pricing. Now, I do mentor uh, somewhere, in, uh, just over 200 accountants and bookkeepers where we get together online every single month and we dive really deep into topics every single month. So I, and, and, and perhaps one day you might want to join that process, but what I also want to do is help as many people around the world. So that's the point of doing these sessions. So that's the purpose. The agenda today is we're going to cover uh, actually three topics today. Uh, I would probably, probably in next month, we're going to do one. Uh, and the topics we'll cover is going to be based on what you tell me is your most pressing needs, your most pressing questions, what's most important to you, what do you want to learn about value pricing? And, and so that's what we're going to cover. And today, specifically, uh, we're going to look at three things. Number one is one of the most common questions that I get is how do we, how do we raise our prices? for our existing clients without losing them? How can we do that? Which is obviously a big, big topic and, and I can, um, I'm sure that's really important, really important for you. Uh, how do we increase our prices? Because I'm guessing for all of you, uh, and I know certainly every accountant and bookkeeper I talk to, we're too cheap. We work in too many crazy hours for too little money because we're not pricing right. And so that's the big, the big thing. How can we start with our existing clients? And we'll look at that. We'll then move on to the next topic, which is another question I keep getting is, is how, can we, how can we get our existing clients to buy more stuff? Which you might think is a sales and marketing question, and it is, but it's also a pricing question too. In fact, what's interesting is, is pricing is, as you know, one of the four P's of marketing. And actually, I think it's more aligned to selling. The whole pricing process is part of selling. And the third thing we'll look at today is another common question is, how do we eliminate debtors, if you're in the UK or if you're in the US, accounts receivable? How do we get paid in advance? So there are three topics we'll do. And uh, we'll spend about 30 or so minutes doing that, looking at those. Uh, obviously, with uh, only 30 minutes, we're gonna, it's going to be kind of big picture helicopter view, uh, overview to get started on these three issues. Right. Let's get into the content. So the first question we're going to deal with today, the first issue is how do we increase prices without losing clients? So I'm going to give you a, a, some, some thoughts on this. I'm going to start with just by way of a illustration, my, my, a bit of my story. 
So as you probably know, I'm an, I'm an accountant myself, a chartered accountant. I've been in this profession for a long, long time. Uh, 1988, I am really that old, yep. And uh, I, I qualified as a chartered accountant in the UK after three years. And then in, uh, in 1996, 31st of May 96, I decided I'd start my own accounting firm, full of excitement, full of optimism, full of hope. And the reason, the single biggest reason, by the way, that I decided to start my own accounting business uh, from scratch, I started in a room in my house, in the, a bedroom, converted to an office, and uh, I started to build this practice up. And the main reason for doing that was because I wanted to be in control of how much time I took off. I didn't want to be, the, my previous employments, I had 20 days holiday, that's all it was in the UK. I wanted to choose to have the time off whenever I wanted. I wanted to choose when I went on holiday. I wanted to choose the hours I worked. I wanted freedom, ultimately. Uh, and so that was the reason I started my practice. Little did I know how difficult the first two or three years would be. In fact, uh, if, I, if I go forward two and a half years into my practice, uh, my life was a mess. It really was. Uh, this, this was me. I, I would be, I, I, by then, I'd grown a practice. I'd got, uh, after two and a half years, I had 13 people in the team. I'd grown it very fast. It sounds successful. It really wasn't. I didn't make any money. It was a mess. But yes, I'd grown fast in the first two, two, or two to three years. But I was the first person in the office every single morning, crazy early, early hours. And I was the first in because I had the key. I had to unlock the door for everybody else. So I was first in the office every morning. I didn't work lunch hours because I was, I was just too busy. I was the last to leave the office because, again, I had this key. I had to lock the door afterwards. So I had to wait till the last person left. And for two and a half years of my life, of my practice, I went into the office every single Saturday morning because I want to catch up with the books and the invoicing and all the other stuff that I had not had time for during the week because of client work. Uh, and that was my life and for two and a half years until, until I met Ron Baker in 1999. I discovered value pricing and all of that changed. I figured out systems and processes to price differently and that changed my practice. I was able a few years later to sell it to the, my managers in a management buyout. Uh, Steve and Jonathan, they bought it off me. And, and they still run it to this very day. And as you perhaps know, I've now been teaching accountants and bookkeepers increasingly around the world the things that I've learned, the things I discovered back then uh, about how to price. And let me tell you about one of the things that I did. So in 1999, I was, I was three years into my accounting firm and I'd grown fast. I had over 200 clients. And one of the things I realized was that I was a busy fool. I was working crazy long hours and not making any money. My pricing was wrong. Uh, not just I was pricing in the wrong way. I, I, I grew up thinking you had to keep timesheets. You had to bill by the hour. I thought that was the only way until I met Ron Baker. Not only that, to compound the problem, I was actually pricing too low for all sorts of crazy reasons. I was too cheap. So I was working too hard for too little money. Fortunately, I know I'm not alone there. Many other people are in exactly the same position, and perhaps you are as well. And I realized in 1999, with over 200 clients, I was a sole practitioner. And yes, I had a couple of client managers, the people who bought my practice. But basically, I was running, I was, I was like a headless chicken running around in circles. It was mad. And I realized I had too many clients. I had way too many clients. I had too many small clients, too many of the wrong clients, too many clients pay me too little in fees. And so I realized I had to put my prices up fast. But I was also scared of losing clients, uh, as I think we all are. And so the first thing I did was I did the analysis. Uh, and this is the first thing, first thing you need to do with your existing client base. I did what's called Pareto analysis. Sometimes it's referred to as the 80-20 rule. I listed my clients on Excel spreadsheet. I listed them along with their fees. I ranked them in order. And I discovered 
I discovered that the bottom 20% of my clients, the smallest 20%, only accounted for 5% of my revenue. And I was growing fast. And I realized, you know, if I, if I lost the bottom 20%, the smallest 20%, I could replace them with two or three good quality clients, of which I was picking up every few months anyway. So I decided that I wanted to lose 20%. In fact, I didn't. I decided I wanted to lose 40% of my clients because, my, because I'd built such a rubbish practice with rubbish clients. Uh, it was ta- I was a slow learner. And so I realized that 40% of my clients were giving me too much of a headache. They were too low. They were too small. They were the wrong clients. And so I decided to put my prices up. Now, in an ideal world, when you are repricing your existing clients, you really should be having a face-to-face meeting. That's always the best way to value price, have a face-to-face meeting. However, that's fine with prospective new clients because we meet those one at a time. And so we can do that. Every time we meet a brand new client, which might be one or two a week, we can, we can have a meeting. We can go through the proper value pricing process. However, if you've got 200 clients, where are you going to find the time in your diary to arrange 200 additional value pricing meetings? It just ain't going to happen. We are too busy already. We're not going to be able to do that. And so whilst in an ideal world, we would get a a better result if we sat down with every single one of our existing clients and had that value pricing conversation. It's not possible. It would take us probably years before we get through the full client base and reprice them. So what I did is I needed a different process. And I call it, I call it the contract renewal letter process. I wrote to my clients. It's not as effective as a face-to-face meeting, but it is a way of getting results fast. And so I sent out this letter to my clients, increasing the price. But I didn't bet the business. I didn't write them all on one day and say, look, your prices are going up by 20%, take it or leave it, because there's always the danger that I might lose more than I expect. So instead, I rolled it out over a series of months. I actually started this process in March 2000. And March 2000, I identified all my March year ends. So all the people whose year end was coming up at the end of the month uh, so that I could write to them and let them know what the fee would be, what the fixed price would be, give them some choices, some options, and let them know what I needed. But I also went and wrote to my uh, prior year ends, those people with February year ends, who hadn't dropped their books and records off, those in January and those in December. So all the ones where I'm waiting for the books and records. So that was about 25% of my client base. And then in April 2000, I only had to write to the April year-end clients. And then in May, I wrote to the May year-end clients. So it then became a process I could then stagger. I could measure the results. I could test and see what was working. And so I created this letter. And the, the key thing I want to talk about with the letter is, I mean, there was lots of things that I built into that, which I now teach in my mentoring program, some of the key things. And one of the things that I did is I used this letter to focus on the value. In the letter, I got the price out of the way early. Because you've got in a written communication, price is going to be there where, there somewhere anyway. So let's get the price out of the way on page one. Because if it's the, at the bottom of your proposal, your fixed price agreement, if the price is the last thing they see, it's the last thing they remember, they focus on price. I wanted to focus my client's mind on the wonderful things I'm going to do for them over the next 12 months. So we got the price out of the way early. And then what I did in the letter, and this was, about, uh, this was typically a five or six page letter. And what I would do is, having got the price out of the way, I would then talk about all the great things I did. I really started to figure out a form of words to 
build and build and build on what I did. I told them everything I did for them, which I'd never done before. I kind of in the past assumed they knew what an accountant does. And so now I started to set out everything I did. I then set out not just what I did, but I explained in detail why I did those things and even more important, how they benefit. And interesting what I found is that in our profession, we are not very good at explaining what we do and why we do it and the benefit to the client. And that's why if ever a client said to you, that's a bit expensive, it simply means they don't understand the value to them. It's not because you're too expensive because you're not, you're too cheap. You have to put your prices up. The reason they say you're too expensive, the price is too much is because they don't understand the value. We have to learn techniques for communicating value. And actually, what was interesting when I did this exercise was that for most of my clients, I wasn't actually doing anything different to what I did the previous year. But because I was explaining better what I did and how they benefited, it changed their perceptions. Their perception was that they were getting more from me. They weren't. It's just that last year, I didn't tell them what they were getting, so they didn't know. And they were ignorant of what I did. And what was interesting is I put my prices up by, on average, 20% across my entire client base. And I was actually hoping to lose 40%. I lost less than 5% of my clients. I was actually a bit disappointed. <laughs> I was disappointed because that, that wasn't my strategy at the time. And so I did that the following year. In 2001, I wrote them all again and put them up by another 20%. So I, in two years, that's a 40, the maths are a 44% increase in price. Uh, and I then started to build a much, much more successful, better practice with less clients, but much, much more profit, a much easier life. And that's how I then sold my practice. So but I tell you that story because the two things I want to illustrate in terms of this idea of how to increase prices without losing clients is number one, you actually, when you put your prices up, you won't lose as many clients as you think you will. In fact, I've been teaching this for since the year 2000, so for many, many years, and many accountants have said to me, they followed my process, they put their price up by, by on average 20% and not lost a single client. That is so common. So firstly, you won't lose as many clients as you think. Secondly, the key here is we have to make sure that we start to really focus on the value and, and manage their perceptions of what we do for them. Well, I hope you're enjoying this episode so far, and of course, we're not done yet. But before we continue, if you're looking for more free training and help, here are three things you can do. First, connect with me on LinkedIn. Tell me you listen to my podcast and I'll send you some links to some free resources. Next, be sure to visit my YouTube channel containing hundreds of training videos. Hit the subscribe button and the bell to get notified when I upload new content. And Join my Facebook group, Value Pricing with Mark Wickersham, and be part of a community of accounting professionals getting better at pricing. Okay, let's continue. Now, let me quickly give you, um, just to wrap up this particular topic, a, a couple of other strategies that you can use to take it to another level. The first of those is if you've never done it before, one of the most powerful techniques that you can use with pricing is what I call menu pricing. I've been teaching this since the year 2000. It worked incredibly well for me. And what that means is that you take your service, whether it's annual financial statements, bookkeeping, payroll, whatever, and you create three different packages. Think of it as a bronze, silver, gold. I don't like that terminology because there's better words to use, but nevertheless, we'll stick with bronze, silver, gold. 
And I know you've heard of this now because I've been teaching this for, for over a decade now, since the year 2000, and increasingly other people are talking about it. And whilst it might sound simplistic, the reality is it works so flipping well. And, and that's why the most successful companies in the world do the same thing. Apple do, Starbucks do, Costa Coffee do, all the most successful profit, profitable companies use menu pricing. And the reason for that is because customers like choice. They want to be able to choose. And there's some wonderful strategies that we can use to help us get higher prices. But here's how you use it in this context. If you want to put your prices up and you don't want to lose clients, then when you create, when you have your face-to-face -face conversation or you might use a written-based format like I did, the contract renewal letter, as I called it, then what you can then do is give your clients the choice. But the important thing is in this particular case with existing clients, you make it very clear to them that what they had last year, what they've had from you before was the bronze package, okay? What they had before was the bronze package. So what you're doing is you're giving them now choices. They can now choose to have a different package if they want to. It's not you forcing a price rise on them, it's letting them choose. If they see greater value in the silver and gold packages and they choose to buy it, then they're happy because they've seen value. You're happy because they've chosen to pay you a higher price. They won't leave. And so when I teach in detail the contract renewal letter process, I take people through the letter and the systems that I've created. What I suggest to people is that you make, if you're using this strategy, that you make the, the bronze level, if you like, something that's similar to what you did last year, perhaps even taking some stuff out and increasing the price by a relatively small amount to cover inflation, three, four, 5%. Now, that percentage depends on how bullish and confident you are. Personally, I would go much higher, but that depends on how much you have the level of your pricing before and how much you need to increase your prices. But the important thing is I would then make the middle option, your new middle option, at least 20% more. And then your top option, at least 30% more. And then let the client just choose what do they want. Some clients might just choose to have what they had last year. And if that's the case, that's fine. You still keep the client and you might. And, and if you've increased the price by 3 or 4%, that's a great result. But you'll find that more clients than you expect when you position it right, when you have the right packages and you, and you communicate it right, more than you think will actually choose to pay you more money because they see value in the middle or the top option. So that's a very powerful strategy. Now, just one more thing, take it to another level still, this whole idea of increasing our prices without losing clients, uh, increasing price of our existing clients, is we can take menu pricing, that's three packages, and we can turbocharge that, take it to another level by building in options. And what that means is we let them choose other things. On a, uh, in, we give them with a process where they can pick uh, other things in addition to the three standard packages. And when we offer them things through options, then we have an opportunity to get a higher price still. Because at the end of the day, if you don't, if you don't offer the client other things, they can't buy those other things. So you're losing out on the opportunity. Now, one way of doing that is using a technique which I call iterative digital pricing. And uh, that's using a pricing tool where you sit down with a client and you give them options and you let them choose the things that they specifically want, the things that they value, and the price is then calculated based on what they value. And when I say the price, I mean the price for your three packages. So you're combining menu pricing and options. That takes it to another level. And a great tool for that is, uh, is Cloud Pricing 2.0, which is a tool that, that I've written. 
Uh, and it's a, an evolution of my first pricing tool that I wrote back in 1998 called Time's Up. So uh, that's something you might want to check out. Okay, I'm now going to move on to uh, the next topic then, which is how do we get existing clients to buy more from you? Uh, which is a, a sales and marketing question, but it's also a pricing question. So there are, there are essentially, if we want to get our clients to buy more, uh, in, increase the, 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 the transaction value, there's essentially four uh, strategies that we can use, and I call them uh, options, bundling, upsell, and cross-sell. Now, two of them we've covered. So the first one is options, is where you give, before you reveal the price, you give clients the option, do you want this or not? And, and they get to choose. And if they say yes, they buy more stuff from you. That's options. And we've also covered menu pricing, because menu pricing, of course, is a way for, to get people to buy more from you. If they only bought the bronze before, because you only offered them one choice before, now when you go to offering them three choices, they, may, they can choose to buy more from you. Just like take Starbucks. If you go to Starbucks to buy a latte, a coffee, they offer you three, three options. They, they call them the, the tall, the grande, and the venti. Now, if all Starbucks had was a tall, that one size, then that's all you could buy. And therefore, they would be missing out on the opportunity of, for customers to buy more stuff. But because they give you a choice, they give you the choice of the, the, the grande and the venti, you can choose to buy more stuff. So menu pricing is the other key strategy for getting clients to buy more. Now, the other two, which I'm going to focus on now for a couple of minutes, is the upsell and the cross-sell. Upselling and cross-selling. Now, first, we have to make sure we understand the difference because some people use those terms interchangeably as if they're the same thing, uh, and some people get them completely wrong. Um, they are different. The difference is this. An upsell is where you sell something which is an enhancement to what they've now agreed to buy. It's an enhancement to what they've agreed to buy. Whereas a cross-sell is when they buy something different. And the other thing that differs between the upsell and the cross-sell is timing. The upsell is always done at the time of the sale. It's always done at the time of the sale. The cross-sell could be a different point in time. So uh, to give you an example, if you were selling to a client uh, bookkeeping services, then if they buy your bookkeeping services, another service they could buy is payroll. Payroll is a different service. That would be a cross-sell. And, if, and, and whilst that could be some, done in the same meeting at the same time, very often cross-selling can be done at any point in time. They could be a bookkeeping client, and then you meet them three months down the line, and you now say, uh, would you like to buy our payroll service? That's cross-selling. But upselling is always done at the point of the sale, and it's done to enhance them. Okay, so you need to be aware of the difference between the two, the upsell and the cross-sell. So how do you get people? How do you do this? Well, let's look at the cross-sell first. If you want to cross-sell more services, here are some of the things you've got to do. Number one, you and your, your team, your firm have to have a focus. What are the things you want to cross-sell and have a laser-like focus on selling those things? If you have 100 different services and hope to sell some of those to other to clients, there's no focus. What I suggest you do is pick the one, two, or three services that, are, that you really, really want to focus on for the next three months, and then you build them into every conversation, and you make it systematic. systematic. You have systems in place, like, for example, you build them into your standard meeting agendas, which means you then have a system to talk to every single client about that cross-sell. That could be, for example, that for the next few months, you want to focus on cross-selling and getting as many clients as possible onto a cloud accounting system. 
And so it's about having a system, it's about having focus, and it's about being persistent as well. Because what I mean by that is sometimes we might say to a client, would you like to buy our payroll service? And they say no. No never ever means no. Okay, no doesn't mean no. No simply means not at this point in time. So if you ask a client if they want to buy something, and perhaps a good example is, a better example is management reporting. You say to a client, we think you'd benefit from management reporting. Would you like to buy that? And they say no. That doesn't mean they'll never, ever, ever, ever be interested in buying management reporting. So what you do, if you believe that's important to them and will make a difference, you make sure you're persistent. You tell them about management reporting as a service every single time you meet them. Because a year from now, their circumstances have changed. And also what happens is sometimes we have to listen to things and hear things several times before we start to realize, you know, this could make a difference to our lives. Let me give you a different example from my perspective. Uh, I study marketing. I'm fascinated by marketing. And probably about, uh, I don't know, 10 years ago, Facebook came along. And I thought, Facebook, that's crazy. It's for kids. It's about posting what you eat for dinner and stupid things like that. And if you were sick last night because you drank too much, <laughs> which I don't do, by the way, I don't, I don't do that and I don't post on about that. But Facebook, I thought, was crazy. But then I kept hearing marketers talk about Facebook. And at first, I thought, nah, don't be stupid. I'm an accountant. It doesn't work for our profession. And then I heard it again. And I heard it again. And I heard it again. And I thought, you know what? I ought to check out this. And then I started hearing this thing about Facebook ads. You've got to do Facebook ads. I thought, nah, that's advertising. I don't want to do that. That won't work. And I heard it probably four, five, six times from different people until I thought, you know what? I ought to check this out. And that's the same with your clients as well. Your clients need to hear the message multiple times before they then think, you know what, this magic reporting thing will make a difference to my business. I need to look into it. So that's cross-selling. Have a focus, have some systems, and be persistent. Now, upselling. Upselling is where you enhance things. And again, it's the same thing. You want to you have a system. You want to be persistent. Now, a great system is something like cloud pricing having a, a software-based system where when the client says, yes, I want that, we can then say, okay, now you've bought this. Why don't you enhance it by adding this? Why don't you have extra meetings? Why don't you have these extra written reports? That's what I mean. Now, one of the masters of this is Apple. Apple are geniuses at the upsell. If you've ever bought an iMac, and it's the same with their MacBook Pros and whatever, uh, and I'm, I keep buying Apple stuff because their systems work on me. So I, I, I've got several iMacs, four, I think. When I've bought iMacs, what happens is, uh, firstly, when you go onto their online store to buy a, an Apple iMac, let's say you want the 27-inch, uh, guess how many options they give you? You'd be really surprised to know they give you three choices. Why is that? Because it works, because they understand the psychology behind it. But once you see those three choices and you hit the select button, you pick the one that you want, that's not the end of the process because then their upsell kicks in and you go to a page where they talk you through other things that you could use to enhance your experience, to enhance your, your benefit from that Mac computer. And uh, I always tick lots of boxes and the price goes up and up and up. But the thing is, I'm in control of the process. I'm the customer. Now, upsells are incredibly powerful because upsells, the good thing about an upsell is the client's already made the decision to buy. So the worst that can possibly happen is if they, they say no to all your upselling processes and questions, the worst that's happened is you've made a sale and you're happy. But what will probably happen is they'll buy something else. They'll buy an, an addition, an add-on, an enhancement. So you must have systems for doing that. Systems like cloud pricing will help you to do that very effectively. Right, I'm conscious I need to move into topic number three, which we'll cover very briefly here, but we may then build on it at a later point in time. And this is how do we get paid in advance by our client clients? Uh, how do we eliminate uh, what 
In the UK, we call debtors on our balance sheet. In the US, you call them accounts receivable. Uh, and I always kind of smile when I see that, partly because when I was in practice many, many years ago, like most accountants and most bookkeepers, I was rubbish at collecting money. And I had a huge amount of debt, people owing me, clients who hadn't paid me. And it gave me a lot of stress. Uh, sometimes I never got paid. I had to write off, uh, write it off, which was a big loss every year. And sometimes I spent a lot of money and a lot of time chasing these debtors and, and hoping clients would pay me, sometimes knowing that really they couldn't afford to pay me. So it's crazy what we do to ourselves. But what's interesting is the accounting profession, whether you're an accountant or a bookkeeper, we're in the service industry. And in the service industry, pretty much, apart from perhaps lawyers, nobody else does credit. Nobody else. Everybody else gets paid either on uh, delivery, on completion, or even in advance. And, and just to give you a couple of examples, if you need your car having its annual service, you take it to the gar garage, the garage, um, the repair shop, and they, they repair it. They re then ring you up when the job's done. You go to collect the car, to collect the car keys. You don't, they don't give you the car keys until you've written the check, until you've paid the bill. OK, they don't give you the keys and then hope you'll pay them sometime inside 30, 60 days. The dentist, another service industry, you go to have your checkup. You then go down to reception to book your next appointment. And at the same time, you pay for the cost of the checkup. You don't wait for an invoice to come through the post. And then there's many other parts of the service industry, like your uh, your mobile phone, uh, your mobile phone, your your Internet, your light and heat, where you pay monthly in advance by direct debit. That's the way the service industry works. So why do we do it different? Why do we let clients choose when they can pay us? So let's just change that. So the first thing I want to say here is you need to make a decision here to be brave. Now, you have a choice, ultimately. Uh, the choice is either you can ignore this advice and just carry on not getting paid, which is perhaps not a good choice. Uh, but a better choice would be uh, let's now give the client the option to pay up front. And we could do that. We can incentivize that with discounts. So you could give that. You could let them choose. Now, when I say the word discount, you should never ever crash and burn on price. Never, never discount. It's crazy. Um, but what you could do, and what I would do, is put your price up, have a price increase, and then give them a discount if they then pay you faster than last time. And therefore, they've got a choice. They can choose which customers love choice. And from your point of view, you win either way. Either they pay you upfront, which helps your cash flow, uh, and alternatively, you get a premium price. Now, the other option, if you are braver, and the one that I would actually recommend, uh, is the default option, which is that it's compulsory. Clients have to give you the money before you do the work. And that's my advice to you. Well, that's all for today's episode. If you want to learn more about value pricing, you can join my Facebook group, Value Pricing with Mark Wickersham. It's a community of thousands of accounting professionals. If you want to take things to another level, you can enroll in the Value Pricing Academy or one of my other academies. Find out more when you head to www.wickersham.co.uk. Members of the Value Pricing Academy learn how to price better how to master business advisory and how to build more successful and enjoyable accounting firms. I'll be back soon with another episode of the Value Pricing Podcast. See you soon.